Thanks for tuning in today. I'm Dr. Nick, the incrementalist. Join me as I seek out the small incremental changes being applied in other industries that we can learn from and that can be applied in healthcare. Can these changes bring immediate value, but also add up to the big improvements and revolution we need in healthcare? Come along with me to explore the possibilities. My innovative guests from around the globe have used small incremental improvements to achieve their moonshot. And today, I'm delighted to be joined by Dr. Don Rucker. He is the Chief Strategy Officer at One Up Health. Don, thanks for joining me today. Yeah, Nick, uh, always a pleasure. So well, this is you... actually the first podcast we've done. So um, we'll we'll put always for our prior uh, discussions over the years. The, I, and always references... Prior, prior meetings, I've always uh, been lucky enough to meet many of my guests uh, prior to their actual appearance on the show. In fact, that's some of the ways that I go uh, looking for guests. So um, as I do with all my guests, uh, I like to get a little bit of background. Yours is uh, especially interesting, um, represents something that not many of us have done, um, but highly relevant in uh, today's day and age. Um, tell us about your journey uh, as a physician, how you arrived there, and then how you arrived at this point in your career, if you would. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I first got interested, I, I knew nothing about data, computers, anything. Um, I first got interested as a first-year med student. Uh, I was at Penn, and looking around on the nursing units, I just thought, boy, these are stunningly inefficient uses of human labor. Just looking around as a first-year med student, you know, still trying to figure out, you know, where's the heart, where's the lungs, what do I ask the patient, right? Those, you know, sort of almost scary, oh, my goodness, a real patient, what do I do now type of things. We've but, all been there, I'm just going to say. Yeah. All of us that practice medicine. Everybody who's a clinician sort of knows those first few patients. <clears throat> um, and then I sort of got into it. This was the late 70s uh, with a fellow named John Eisenberg was – my tutor at Penn eventually became head of what is now ARC. And so I started as, as a med student thinking about decision trees. Lo and behold, I got to residency. This was at UCSD. And I realized that healthcare's inefficiencies were not for want of a decision tree, somewhat disappointing, but for want of data. Um, so now we're talking 81 to 84. And um after noodling on this problem and being cognizant of the point, at that point I was 30 years old, I said, you know what, I'm going to go back to school and learn computer science. And so I was very, very fortunate to be able to do a roll-your-own program of two separate degrees, um, a medical computer science degree and an MBA, both at Stanford. So in the early days of AI rule-based expert systems. My thesis advisor, Ted Shortliff, um, was the inventor of those. Um, and then still interested, as a, I had been continuously in data, um, was employee number six of the first Windows EMR company. <laughs> um, and um, for your audience, uh, which since this is audio... Name that, name that company, Don. Name that yeah, company. Yeah, Nick is... Um, Sporting a uh, T-shirt that maybe is not 100% supportive of Windows. Um, and I'll tell you, when you're programming in Windows 2.1 and dealing with memory crashes, um, every day is is a high wire act. Um, but at any rate, we did that um, for a number of years and uh, then was chief medical officer at Siemens, helped roll out computerized physician order entry, 
for a number of our large customers of the era, was heavily involved in some of the lobbying around imaging, have always at the same time been a clinician practicing. Um, so I was on the clinical faculty at Harvard uh, for Beth Israel for over a decade. I was on the clinical faculty at Penn uh, for over a decade, Ohio State, and actually still am doing some ER practice here locally at a local army hospital. So I've always had that IT clinical background in, in varying mixes, was very fortunate to be uh, named the national coordinator in 2017. And I, I tell you, when that happened, I thought the role was largely going to be to fix the you know issues with meaningful use. As it turns out, most of the meaningful use issues had already been undone by the prior administration. Um, but what was out there was the implementation of the Cures Act, highly bipartisan, I think 390 votes in the House, 90 in the Senate, a little bit more. And the Cures Act was, it was called the 21st Century Cures Act, was Congress's attempt to have modern computing and modern data. So the modern data largely dealt with FDA and evidence and lowering the cost of medications. The modern computing obviously dealt with ONC and related um, and was national coordinator for four years and put in uh, the rules on that uh, when, um, you know, I was a political appointee. So, you know, election results, I uh, ended up joining One Up Health, which is a C round venture funded firm doing um, essentially modern fire data computing in the cloud, right? So leveraging all of the cloud capabilities, not just on storing data, not just on moving data, but actually in computing and having that efficient. Um, so I'm chief strategy officer there. So that's a overlong uh, tale of the journey, but uh, throw it out there. I do get asked that uh, on a somewhat regular basis. Yeah, so it, it, it's fascinating that far back that you managed to blend those two worlds and, you know, actually do some serious study in the computing and medicine at the same time. There wasn't really a career track. There was no nope. um, uh, certifications or uh, nope. even qualifications. Um, now there is. I, I think there's more folks like that, but uh, it, it was certainly a struggle in those days, and I, I, I felt it, you know, outside of this country and then subsequently coming yep. in, but delighted to see so many more people. And, yeah. you know, obviously for you, fantastic trajectory, underlying infrastructure and understanding of all of that, um, albeit, you know, a long time ago, things have moved a lot since, you know, that period of time in terms of the computing, but that gives you that foundation. Well, I still stay current on the technical <laughs> stuff. Right. And do programming every now and then. So, yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, subsequently um, helping set some of the course and, you know, obviously um, uh, involvement both clinically and, you know, with the technology. But, you know, the undercurrent theme and the one that we're focused on for, for this episode is interoperability. And I got to say, I, I feel almost as long as I've been alive and definitely as long as I've been involved in this space, We've been talking about this, and yet we just never it, – it's got to be this mirage on the horizon that just keeps moving and disappearing off into the uh, distance. Yeah. What, what, 
what is your vision? Because I've got to believe that's fundamental to anything that we can achieve in terms of data and processing and, you know, advancement. What's your vision for that interoperability then? Yeah, you know, I think we're um, perilously close. And some of that is just because we've been doing a lot of work in this space for, as you point out, a long, long time. So to me, that on the computing side, we'll get to the healthcare payment side, which is the real barrier. But on the, you know, on the computing side, we now have the pieces, right? What we've needed um, are A, electronic data. There's not much point in interoperating on paper, right? The fax is not a helpful um, thing. So we need a lot of clinical data. We have that. EMRs are basically everywhere uh, today. We have obviously blisteringly fast networks, which, you know, we didn't have. I mean, when I started was before parallel printer cables, which I sure dates me out of almost every single person in this audience. But, um, you know, we didn't have any of this, you know, the networking stuff today. Obviously, we have, you know, supercomputers in our pocket. Um, And then the final thing is we didn't have robust computable data standards on the core clinical stuff. Now, we've had a probably a 40-year journey on, you know, computerizing some of the machinable data. So, you know, HL7 V2 for lab results, DICOM for images, and then with HIPAA, X12 for payments. But it's only been in the last 10, 15 years after, you know, frankly, the misstep of HL7 V3 attempts in CCDA, which are sort of the, you know, the ashes of of those attempts, um, that we have um, the highly computable FHIR data standard, which for the folks in the audience, fast healthcare interoperability resources, it doesn't matter what that says. What matters is it's in JavaScript object notation, which is literally the language of the modern internet. And the combo of RESTful APIs, you'll have to Google it, it's a little bit too long to explain here, Um, R-E-S-T APIs, and uh, JSON is just dynamite from a computing point of view. So I think that part of it we've solved. In the US, the part that we have not solved, and we'll talk about that with some of the attempts to prevent interoperability, most notably TEFCA, um, ironically enough, is we have incented um, through years of U.S. policy, we've incented very inward-looking delivery systems. So the core economic incentive is to merge with as many hospitals as you can with a goal of capturing high-margin procedures. So surgeries, you know, hips, knees, cardiac cath. You know, primary care is really as far as modern hospital systems are concerned, it's just a loss leader. It's like, you know, going to the grocery store and they give you a cheese sample, you know, to taste, right? The, the, the money is there. And of course, those referrals all have to be pointed inward for the business model. So the EMR systems have, you know, through no particular fault of their own, risen and, you know, and the success in EMR world is how strongly you don't let anybody escape the net, right? Um, you know, in you know the executive suite, that's called leakage, 
every delivery system studies leakage, right? Well, if you're EMR and your business model is about preventing leakage, interoperability is antimatter, right? Interoperability, that the, especially that the patient controls. So I'm not talking about things like, um, you know, a provider portal that the patient can't effectively get the data out. Um, but it, true interoperability, where it can go into the patient's phone, they can take it with them, and they can shop, is to be prevented at all costs. That's why the lobbying um, against uh, the rulemaking in the Cures Act was, um, you know, fairly strong. Intense. But, yeah, intense, intense, right? And, you know, people, you know, they didn't want to say, I'm protecting my opaque anti-competitive uh, business model. It would always be, you know, we're protecting patient patients. Privacy. Oh, yes, yes. We're you we're you know, but um, so at any rate, that battle continues uh, royally today, as literally as we speak. So for those of you just joining, I'm Dr. Nick, the incrementalist. Today, I'm talking to Dr. Don Rucker. He is the chief strategy officer with One Up Health. We were just talking about interoperability, the vision for it, and in fact, you know, the delightful uh, circumstance that we find ourselves in, or at least I, I view it as such, and I think you do based on uh, the description that you gave at the beginning of this, which is um, we have technology that will allow for this in an effective, economical way. It's it's entirely achievable. And yet, here we are talking about TECFA and, let's say, trusted exchange framework and common agreement, which, you know, I, I, sounds like government speak for, hey, we're going to create an interoperability environment. And, uh, you know, I think people outside of um, the environment might actually consider this as a positive move, but you've already teased that this is perhaps not. So what is going on? Because ostensibly you look at that and say, well, this is towards a better future. Right. Um, yeah, well, welcome to D.C., right? <laughs> it's sort of Orwellian. Um, so I'd say know. welcome to America, I'm just going to say. But, yeah, welcome all right. to America. And I know then you, send complaints. Everybody knows my contact point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I think maybe step before we get into the issues with TEFCA, it may be helpful for folks to reflect and just think about what would healthcare look like if we had the same digital interactivity that we have on our smartphone for every other part of our life. You know, I just paid my car tax in Arlington County, Virginia, which is a lot of money um, because they have a very high tax rate, um, not because I have a nice car, um, online, right? Done. Didn't even have to lick a stamp. Um, you know, we're talking, I'm flying out to uh, West Coast tomorrow. I'll, you know, check in on the airline. I'll know any delays. I'll know the weather. I'll know the weather where I'm going, um, you know, look at, you know, whatever, sports, anything you want, news, instantaneous. We have none of that in healthcare, right? So I, I urge listeners to think, what would that world look like? And do you want it? Because right now there are some people who are fighting to prevent that. Um, and, you know, under the guise of Tefka. Uh, and I think part of that challenge is... There's so much money in healthcare that folks don't want to give it up, right? No, they do you not. built a monster brick and mortar hospital system, um, and you can look in almost any major town in America, 
and you see these highly consolidated delivery systems costs the country a lot of money, a huge chunk of our GDP, we all know. Um, and it's not like they're consumer-friendly kind of places or places marked by you know, any real extension of life. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of heroic care going on. And so how do we get the data? How do we move out of those systems? How do we reach escape velocity? That's what I believe true interoperability is. The Cures Act had three provisions in it. Um, so 2016, 21st Century Cures Act passed almost unanimously um, by Congress, signed at the end of President Obama's term, heavily implemented by President Trump. I mean, that's as bipartisan as it gets. I can't mm. think of anything more bipartisan of substance in the last decades Right. Um, when you get right down to it. And it had three provisions, um, two of which we implemented in the ONC interoperability role with some parallel rulemaking CMS. Um, one provision <coughs> was APIs without special effort. Um, I'm quoting the exact language of the law. And so without special effort means not proprietary, not convoluted, not, you know, something that programmers of ordinary skill, you know, from kids in the garage to, you know, people applying their living doing programming could do. The second provision was there should not be information blocking. So um, historically, HIPAA, you could get your medical record, but typically you had to go beg somebody in medical records in the basement to, you know, photocopy it at great expense. Um, and there have been some partial things on patient portals and, you know, some other file formats that weren't really modern convenient, let's call it, to allow people to somehow get their data, but they didn't work for the obvious reasons. And so Congress said the assumption is providers will not may give their data to patients on patient demand and patient apps of the patient's choosing. So, and this was worded as interfering with the access, exchange, and use of health information. Those are the access, exchange, and use. This will come into play. The third part, which didn't make a lot of technical sense, but, you know, stuff happens in laws, was this trust exchange framework, common agreement. Um, now, as... Everybody who's alive and every single person I can confidently say listening to this podcast know we have the internet. So we actually know what a trusted exchange framework and common agreement is. It's the internet, right? This is not a mystery. But somehow this got put in. Uh, DC is a strange and mysterious place. Um, and we were required to hire, you know, somebody to evaluate this and, uh, there was a contract for the Sequoia Group, which is a spinoff of some epic-funded um, activities in the past, long, complicated corporate history. The um, They and the current administration have decided to have TEFCA be this network of what are called QHINs, Qualified Health Information Networks, so brokers. So they've come up with this network of private brokers that would get participants like hospitals, doctors, EMRs, and they would trade this information 
And somehow at the edge, you would ask one broker, that broker would go to another broker, and then, you know, they would sort of see and didn't, all these brokers, of course, didn't actually help the real work, which is figuring out where the medical record is. Um, so uh, that didn't, you know, that didn't help there. And it's document exchange only. So it's utterly non-computable. So um, it sounds like this is a problem um, and a limitation to yeah. uh, the, the future of interoperability. Um, I, I've got to say, hugely disappointing um, to anybody that sort of follows this and is a patient. Oh, wait, that's all of us at some point. Um, yeah, and hopefully. Well, I, I don't, yeah. I don't maybe know. Not. Maybe not. Maybe not. Good point. You know? Maybe um, not. Maybe not. Yeah. Um, but... At least uh, we. This is clearly what we need and what the the universe wants. But we have challenges. How do we get there? Well, sadly, there was a big step back in the proposed ONC rule. In the ONC rule, they put in stunningly a provision that once you're enwrapped in this QHIN world, you have to take any further information. If you're an app developer, you're anybody who wants to be a competitor in this network of brokers and documents. So, you know, parsable with great difficulty, not modern APIs, the antithesis of that, you know, blocks access with brokers, blocks exchange by 25-year-old protocols that nobody uses. We don't have a document-centric internet anymore. And the use, obviously, is blocked for the same reasons. Um that was, I believe, put in by, you know, parties who had fought the APIs to begin with. And at least one of the parties wants it that they want to have the ability in writing to force people to use these ancient protocols in writing, like, you know, paper, email. Right. Can you imagine having to write to the your airline for your ticket? Please send me the ticket by mail. I mean, this is just, um, and that, amazingly enough, ONC has currently in the proposed rule. It's um, it effectively undoes um, APIs without special effort and information blocking. It basically, and and the language is, in fact, that Tefka participants have a license to information block. Maybe a license wow. to kill was okay for James Bond, but um, <laughs> for. Tefka participants, right, read the big hospitals um, and EHRs to be granted by ONC a proposed license to information block. Um, wow. So, anyway, so, it's a political world. It's complicated. And uh, that's sort of where we are today. So, tech for, uh, uh, tech, tech for 007 is um, clearly, or 008, they must be because yeah. 007 is <laughs> retired at this point. Yes. Um, sorry, that was should have been a spoiler alert, but okay, tough luck if you didn't know at this point. Um, so, uh, in the balance of the time that we have, what have we got to do? What should we all be focusing on to get there? <clears throat> I think the real focus is rethinking interoperability as... Um, not moving some bit of information, especially not as a document, but not moving one bit of information from point A to point B, but really thinking about how do we use computing in preventing illness? How do we use computing in allocating care? 
as we know, care is sort of extraordinarily expensive. The care allocation mechanisms we have today, prior auth, narrow networks, quality measures, um, Medicare Advantage, those are all things that are threadbare when you think about what a modern computing environment would be. That's what interoperability going in the future is, to be smart. I mean, today with statins, cardiac CT angiogram, and circulating tumor cells, we can prevent probably half of the diseases that kill us today without any further thing other than a change in payment. So true interoperability is how do we move from the bits and byte transmission to actually computing to make our lives better the way it has in other areas. So unfortunately, as we do each and every other week, we've run out of time. So I'm I'm going to close by just reminding us that at the beginning of this, or certainly early on in the conversation, when I asked you, you know, your thoughts about it, you said, we're, we're at the inflection point, the tipping point, you feel like we're almost there. Despite all of the barriers and the challenges, um, this is attainable, and it is what we all want. Don, thanks for joining me today. Uh, Nick, my pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for joining me today. Do you have any better ideas, or have you found a small incremental change that's brought about a big improvement in your world? Let's continue the conversation on our hashtag, The Incrementalist, or share with me at DrNick1 on Twitter. You can find more information about the show on our program page at healthcarenowradio.com. And tune in next time to hear my discussions with leaders and innovators from around the globe who've revolutionized their space by using small incremental improvements to achieve their moonshot. I'm Dr. Nick, the incrementalist, and I'm starting a revolution through evolution. Evolution.